Amen. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Come on. God's good. God's good. We have, just before I get started, some unexpected guests with us today. And uh, we're going to call them up right now. David and Cherie Dominguez from the Dream Center in Philadelphia. Amen. Hallelujah. Uh, I'm going to tell you, we had a great service. First service, we, we were really filled up, got a good crowd here this morning. This is what it's all about, lives being changed, lives making decisions for Christ. And, and, and as you know, man, several weeks ago, just last month, uh, uh, Easter Sunday, and we designated that we are going to be a blessing and partner with the Dream Center because God's breaking strongholds in Philadelphia. But God dropped in your heart some years ago. It's coming to pass. It, it, the best is yet to come. I, I believe the door is being opened right now. What you've dreamed about and prayed about and what the vision God gave you in your heart is getting ready to come to pass in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So together, I'm going to say it again because it thrills me for the kingdom of God. $181,000 or so for Philadelphia. Praise God. Amen. I'm a little hey, pumped. God bless you guys. Hallelujah. Richly, thank you so much for your generosity. Listen, this is a miracle in the making. We got the check right, right here. here. And it's because of generosity. Listen, because you gave, lives are going to be changed. Because you gave, we believe, chains of addiction are going to be broken. Children are going to be reached. And human trafficking victims are going to be released from those chains. Thank you so much for your generosity. God is good, and we're excited for this partnership. Thank you again. Amen. You guys, you guys are amazing. Amen. Go ahead. Hey, let's take a selfie real quick. <laughs> we should have been you two. Come on. Jump in here. There you go. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you. Take, take it on down. Oh, great to be with you. We're in week number two of I Believe. Say it with me, I believe. The machine knows what it's doing. That's what Michael Scott said in an episode of The Office as he drove his car right into the lake. We trust our GPS so often and so often our GPS, our roadmap for life, it seems, gets us in trouble. couple in New York City, they made a wrong turn, drove into Central Park, got, steps, got stuck on some of those concrete steps into Central Park in their car. They followed the GPS. Another woman in Brussels, Belgium, was just going to the train station to pick her friend up, not that far away. She followed her GPS she had to fill her car up twice. She had to sleep. She got so tired. And she pit, went to the train station in Germany. She followed her GPS. Another fella. The sign said the road is closed. Had roadblocks. But his GPS said go this way. He went anyway. And he found himself stuck in a sand pit. I'm saying all that to say this. We're going to talk about God's Word, the Bible, today. We have an accurate, trustworthy, reliable GPS roadmap for life. It's called the Bible, 
the Word of God. Amen? Amen. That's what we're going to look at this morning. And usually right about now, we stand up together and we say together, and I've done it for probably almost 30 years, this is my Bible. We're going to do that today, but at the end of the service, we're going to make a declaration that we believe the Word of God and God's Word transforms and changes lives. Do you believe that today? He really does. And so, we're looking at why is the Bible the Word of God and how do we know that it is the Word of God? So, our first scripture this morning is the foundational scripture. This is the scripture, uh, scripture's most important statement about itself. And it's 2 Timothy 3.16, and it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The benefits of God's Word. And so we look first of all, and it says the Scriptures are inspired. That means God breathed. And this is very crucial and important here. God breathed. Scripture is the product of God's creative breath. God breathed. And so we see the Bible is not a product of elevated human intellect or transcendent human inspiration. The Holy Spirit moved and spoke to human writers, and they began to write, not robotically, not automatically, without their conscious participation, but God used their intellect and their personalities, and they heard from the Spirit of the living God. And so the Bible is just not a good idea. It doesn't contain the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. Not the thoughts, not the subjects, but every single word is the Word of God. Not just the ideas presented. God's creative breath inspired. And that same word is used in Genesis 1, where God took the dust of the earth and formed Adam into what? A human being, a man. And then he breathed into him his breath, creative breath, and he became a living being. God's word is life-giving. The word of God are the words of life this morning. Hallelujah. Words of life this morning. Psalm 119, 86, all of your commandments can be trusted. And so the Bible is beneficial for us, first of all, because it's profitable for teaching and instruction, the conviction of our sin, correction of our errors, and restores us to obedience, for learning to live in conformity to God's will, both publicly and privately with personal integrity and moral courage. And so God's Word completes us and God's Word equips us today. So the big idea this morning is God's Word is powerful and life-giving. How many believe that this morning? Amen? His Word teaches us, protects us, provides a foundation that enables us to make wise decisions in our lives. So how can I know, how can I trust the Bible. So we're going to get seven reasons to trust that this is God's Word. 66 books, 39 Old Testament, 27 new, 40 human writers. Number one, and we're able to go through these. I did it the first service. I can do it again. (laughs) 
we don't have a second or third service after this one, so I don't have to rush. Welcome, everybody. Yeah. The Bible is historically accurate. I want you to see that. It's true history, real people, real places, real time. So why is this even important? Because the Bible tells us this. First of all, God cannot lie. That's good right there. Is there anything God can't do? And when we hear that, we usually say, well, no, he can do everything. There's some things God can't do, and I'm thankful these are some things God can't do. And first of all, he can't lie. He cannot deny himself. He cannot not be God. He's God. Hebrews 6.18 says, and it gives us this, it is impossible for God to lie because God is truth. The psalmist tells us in uh, Psalm 33.4, the word of the Lord is right and true. So how do we know it's historically accurate? Eyewitness accounts. And this is the most important, eyewitness accounts. One way you test is from eyewitness accounts accounts. And a story would ask, is this written down by somebody who saw it, received it, secondhand or thirdhand? Is it legend written down hundreds of years later? And the Bible primarily is eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses. This is why it's good history. Moses was there and the Red Sea parted. Joshua was there when the walls of Jericho fell. The disciples saw Jesus alive, risen from the dead, along with 500 other people at one time. Matthew was there. John was there. Peter was there. He told Mark. Mark wrote it down. Luke talked with all of them, traveled with them, including Jesus' mother, eyewitness accounts. The extreme care in which the Scriptures were copied. Extreme care. People say this all the time. Well, I, I believe probably the original was correct, but it's, it's been copied by scribes and copied by scribes and year after year. So I'm sure by now there are errors and mistakes, you know, so we can't depend on all of it as the Word of God because it's been passed down generation from generation. Well, let's look at that for a moment. The Old Testament scribes, the copiers of the scriptures of scrolls, what they would do is this. When they would copy these scrolls from one to another, they actually copied it, what we would say like our Xerox machines today. They had a long list of rules and regulations to be precise, to be exact. Rules like when they had a scroll, they had a specified number of columns throughout it so it would always be the same. And the length of these columns could not be... Uh, uh, less than 48 or 60 lines in length. It always had to be exactly 30 letters wide so they could always check it out. They had black special ink. When they completed, they threw away the pen or the pencil. They copied letter by letter, not word by word. They knew in a book, let's just say Isaiah, for example, they knew in a book how many letters of the alphabet were in that book. And so, for instance, our letter A, they would know there were 1,653 A's in the book. And if they counted it and they had 1,654, they counted everything. And if they had 1,654, not 1,653, they would throw the scroll away and they would start 
over. That's how exact they were. Then we have the Dead Sea Scrolls. And we say, what's the big deal about the Dead Sea Scrolls? Well, what's significant about them, and I've had the privilege of seeing them in the museum in Jerusalem, these Dead Sea Scrolls written, the Word of God in the original language behind the glass. The Dead Sea Scrolls were written about 100 years before Jesus came to earth. They have in them copies of all the Old Testament except the book of Esther. When they found these scrolls in caves, the earliest copies we had before them were 900 years after Jesus came. So this 1,000-year gap. So all of a sudden, we get to check out how much change came in those 1,000 years. And so if I had asked you, what do you think? How much change in 1,000 years? This is what they found out, 5% and less. And here was the change. The change was this, a spelling of words and names, and that was all that the change came. Something like, my name is J-O-H-N, John, or it was J-O-N, John. Simple spelling and names. That's all the change that took place. The copies were proven to be right. Archaeology, you look at archaeology, and it proves again and again the Bible. These places and these people, that they're real, they're true, it's not fiction. You can go to these places today. Uh, I've had the privilege in Israel to be so, so, so many of these places, and there's places like the Pool of Siloam, uh, where the blind man was healed, portions of Herod's temple, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter's house by the Sea of Galilee, in Capernaum, the upper room, Mount Calvary, the place of the skull where Jesus was crucified. In Athens, Greece, the Areopagus Theater, where there was a riot. The book of Acts is all about historical accuracy. Luke, an historian, Luke, a physician, he wrote the book of Acts. He talks about 54 cities, 39 countries, nine different islands with complete historical accuracy accuracy. Archaeology proves that the Bible is more accurate than our ideas about history. There have been times where it is said the Bible is wrong because history disagrees with what the Bible says, but we find out that the Bible is correct. For so long, we know David had a son named Solomon, right? Became King Solomon. For so long, history said there wasn't a king Solomon, and Solomon talks about having horses and chariots, and history says Israel didn't have horses and chariots. Egypt did, but history says Israel probably just had donkeys and camels. Israel didn't have horses and chariots until at Megiddo, they found in Israel Solomon's 1,000 1,000 stables for horses and chariots. The Bible is true. It's right every time. Can somebody say amen? There's an empire in the Old Testament called the Hittites. History says we have no record of the Hittites. We've never heard of the Hittites. Hittites are never named in history. The Hittites. The Bible says there's the Hittites. History says there wasn't until the early 20th century in the 1900s, a professor by the name of Hugo Winkler discovered 10,000 clay tablets at what was the capital of the Hittites. 
the Bible is true. The Bible is scientifically accurate. God established the laws of science, and he made sure that his word does not contradict the laws of science. Now, this isn't a science book. It doesn't use science terminology or language, but the Bible never gives us bad science. There are things in the Bible that we've just discovered. A hundred years ago, several hundred years ago, Johannes Kepler, the famous mathematician, astronomer, he said science is simply thinking God's thoughts after him. Truth never changes, but our thoughts on science are constantly changing. How many times have we heard that something was good for you, and then years later we find out, oh, it causes cancer? How many times have we, you know, said, you know, this is okay for a pregnant woman, and then we find out years later, this is not good for a pregnant woman. We discovered it's harmful. If you've been reading the Bible 500 years ago or so, what the Bible said would not have been considered or match science of the day. God understands when we don't understand. His rules never change. Psalm 148.5 says, Let everything give praise to the Lord, for he issued his command and they came into being. God sets these rules of laws and gravity and thermodynamics and physics. Truth doesn't change. For centuries, people believe the world was flat. And then Copernicus comes along and Galileo and Columbus, and they find out the world is not flat. Isaiah the prophet said in chapter 40, verse 22, God is enthroned above the sphere or the circle of the earth. The Bible always said the Bible is round, the earth is round. For many, many years, it was accepted science that there are only 1,000 stars in the universe or a little more than 1,000 stars. There aren't any more. You can count the stars, only a little more than 1,000 stars. But 2,600 years ago, in the book of Jeremiah, the prophet said in chapter 33, verse 22, the number of the stars are infinite. You can't count the stars. God's word is true. For many years, people believed, you know what? And there's this thing that mankind did throughout history. It was accepted, bloodletting, bloodletting. This led to the death of George Washington. Doctors would cut a sick person and let them bleed. They thought that would make them healthy. How many things that sounds good? You want to cut me so I bleed? I'm going to get better? I don't think so. That's why I'm here to see you in the first place. Yeah. You had to bleed a person to get the bad stuff out. They believed that all illness came from four bodily fluids. Oh, you want to know them? Yellow bile. Yeah, well, I like the color of that shirt. What's that called? Yellow bile. You like that one? That's not the color of your dress today, okay? Black bile, red blood, blue phlegm. Yeah, four fluids also control your temperature. Today we know we give people blood. We do the opposite because we know the source of life is in the blood. And the Bible always knew that. Leviticus 17.11, the life of every creature is in the blood. During the Middle Ages, there was a plague, the bubonic plague. One-fourth of Europe died. One out of every four people died in the bubonic plague because they didn't understand germs and contagion and infection. 
We didn't understand quarantining people. We still don't understand that. So they had sick people. Yeah, I said that. Infected people with the plague and healthy people were infected and, and they were together and they just kept dying. It's been an epidemic and it became a pandemic. They should have read the Bible. Leviticus 13.4, put an infected person in quarantine for seven days outside of the camp. Proverbs 35, every word of God is flawless. God's science is right and it works every time. Today in our culture, we can't even tell a man from a woman and you put one of our leaders and try to tell, ask them to define a woman and they can't do it. God help us. We need Jesus today. Amen? Come on. Amen. The Bible can be trusted because it's prophetically accurate. This means predictions in the Bible always come true. There are over 300 prophecies in the Bible concerning Jesus as the Messiah 1,000 years before he was born in Bethlehem, and all of them have come to pass. What's the odds of that happening? Where he would be born, how he would be born, how he would die on a cross, and a cross hadn't even been invented yet in human history. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19, until the day dawns, and the Christ, the morning star. See, this is where we get our name for Morning Star Fellowship. Somebody, or more than somebody, a couple people through the years have said, Morning Star, isn't that a satanic name? And I said, no, it's the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan's tried to take that name because he's an imposter, he's a fake, he's a wannabe, he's a thief, he's a liar. Jesus Christ, the bright morning star. Amen, church? Shines in your hearts above all. You must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. Jesus said in Matthew 26, this is all happening to fill the words of the prophets as recorded in Scripture. The apostle John said in Revelation 22, then the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and they're true because they are from God. And then the Bible is trustworthy because it's thematically correct which means it has the same theme throughout the entire book from Genesis to Revelation, which is the story of redemption from sin through our hero, the Lord Jesus Christ. The same message from Genesis to Revelation. Over a 1,600-year period, 40 different human writers, poets, prophets, princes, kings, sailors, soldiers, attorneys, doctors, scholars, fishermen, businessmen, written from prison, from different locations all over the world, three different continents, Asia Minor, Israel, and Italy in Rome, three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic. It wasn't even collected into one book until 1,000 years later after the last Old Testament writer died, and it all fits together in one unified theme. Jesus said in Luke 24, 27, he took them through the writings of Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament, all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus said in John chapter 5, the scriptures point to me. It's all about 
Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. The Bible is trustworthy because it's confirmed by Jesus. He confirmed the scriptures. And we have people today and some pastors today trying to say all we need is the New Testament or all we need is or are the words of Jesus. It's all the word of God. It's all inspired. Jesus trusted all of scripture. It's all God's word. Matthew 5, 18, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Your version may say one jot, one tittle, not the smallest dot, not the smallest letter being uh, 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 punctuated, not, not, it will not disappear, ever disappear. When Jesus talks about the Bible, he doesn't just talk about poetry or history. He talks about his word, that his word is life-changing. His word is life. These are the words of life for us this, us this morning. Jesus replied, but even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice and obey it. Jesus believed in Adam and Eve. Jesus believed in Noah. He believed in Sodom and Gomorrah. He believed in the prophets. He believed in Jonah and the great fish. Yeah. Early church leader Augustine said, if you believe in the Bible what you like and don't believe in what you don't like, it's not the Bible you trust, it's yourself. There's things in here that bother me. There's things in here that irritate me. There's things in here that convict me. There's things in here that make me say, oh me, oh my. There's things in here that, that show me who I really am and speak to me and tell me I need to change. I need to repent. There's things in here that I really have questions about, but you know what? It's truth, and truth doesn't change, and we need the truth of God's Word today. Amen. Amen. The Bible is trustworthy. We're almost there because it survives so many attacks. I want you to hear that. The most loved book, the most read book, the most printed book in history, but yet, at the same time, the most hated, banned, tried to ban, debated book in all of history. Rome tried to stop it. Hitler tried to stop it. Communism keeps trying to stop the word. You can burn the Bible, outlaw the Bible, put Bible believers to death, but you can't stop the word of God. It goes on and on and on. Hallelujah. In Matthew 28, 35, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. People, you and me, we're going to last for eternity, and you know what? There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. God's word will never, ever pass away. It lasts. The famous French atheist philosopher Voltaire, he died in 1778. He hated the Bible. He hated God. He wrote pamphlets against the Bible. He said this, 100 years from now, the Bible will be a forgotten book. And when he died, the French Bible Society took over his house, and for 100 years, they sold Bibles out of that atheist home. Hallelujah. Praise God. 1 Peter 1.24, the grass withers, the flyers Flowers fade, but the Word of God stands forever. Truth will always be truth, whether I believe it or not. It's still truth. We don't like to be called immoral or 
sinful or corrupt or perverse, but it doesn't really matter whether I like it or not. What God says is moral is moral, and what God says immoral is immoral. I may say I don't believe in the law of gravity, but the truth is I have no choice. I have to obey gravity. I have to believe the laws of God. And this last one, this is a dear one, the close one. The Bible has transforming power. How many has been transformed? How many are still being transformed? 32 lives today declaring transformation in Jesus Christ. Oh, thank you, Lord. All of the laws in the world will never, ever change a human heart but God's Word. Jesus said in John chapter 8, if you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Amen. Free. Freedom. How many people are free today in Jesus Christ? That's something to praise God about. I'm free. I'm not bound. I'm not depressed. I'm not in chains. I have liberty. I'm free in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. Truth works. Do you believe everything you read online? Mm -mm. Do you believe everything you watch on TV? No, 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 we don't. See, the fundamental question is this, and this is a serious question I want you to ask yourself. What is going to be the final authority in my life? Is it going to be God's Word, or is it going to be this world? What is going to be the final authority in my life? God's Word or this world. And I want to close with this thought. When life attacks you, when the devil attacks you, not if, when. How many get that? Not if, when. It's going to happen. When the devil attacks you, when life attacks you, you have the Word of God. The powerful Word of God. You've heard me say it, and I want to say it a little clearer. The devil is not afraid of anything you have to say. But he is terrified of you as a believer when you speak the Word of God in faith. He's not afraid of anything you and I have to say, but he's terrified when we as believers speak the Word of God in faith. It's faith's call to confess the Word of God. And what I'm talking about is the Logos Word and the Rhema Word. And it comes from Hebrews chapter 4, 12 and 13. The writer says, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul, spirit, and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the Heart. I want you to know this morning clearly that you have a weapon against the devil today. Hold up your weapon. Do you have your Bible? Do you have your phone with the app? Hold up your weapon. Let me see your weapon. Tell your neighbor, we've got a weapon. I have a weapon. It's lethal. It will slice and dice the enemy every time I have a lethal weapon. It's the Word of God. Hallelujah. It only works if I use the weapon God's given me. 
If I'm silent and I contain it, it doesn't work. But when I open my mouth, hallelujah. Powerful, verse 12 says. That means at work, active and effective as opposed to idle and ineffective. Logos is all the Bible. This is the Word of God, all the Word. This is Scripture. Rhema is a verse or a portion of the Word of God, the promise of God. When we're reading the Word of God, God's going to bring a word of life to you. You have to be in the Word and reading the Word for this to happen. And He brings it to us, a Scripture. You've had this. It'll leap off the page. It'll grab your heart, grab your spirit. During times of difficulties and challenges and crisis in your life and trials in your life, the promise of God, and you're reading the Word, and all of a sudden, the Logos, and you're reading this verse, and it becomes a rhema, timely, directed Word of God for you in exact moment and situation That's what I'm talking about. The rhema becomes a weapon, a sword. Ephesians chapter 6 says we have the sword of the Spirit, a two-edged sword that the enemy can't handle the Word of God. It's time we get out our swords. It's time we use our weapons, hallelujah, in Jesus' name. The power and the promises of God. So we need to receive the Word of God. We need to believe the Word of God. And we need to speak the Word of God. God's Word has life-transforming power. It's one thing to read the Word, but I want you with the creative breath that God breathed life into this Word, that we receive the Word in our spirit, and we begin to speak the Word out loud because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And I begin to hear myself speak what's in the Word of God. I may not feel it the first time. I may not feel it the second time. But my faith is being built up. I'm being encouraged. I'm being strengthened. My weapon is mighty in the Lord. And I begin to see that my Word is God's Word. And I'm in agreement with the Word of God. And the enemy can't stand to the Word that's coming forth out of my mouth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Speak the word. Speak the word. Say it with me. Speak the word. Come on, you're defeated. You're discouraged. You're depressed. I want you to know if you'll begin to speak the word of God that he's putting into your heart. I I could give you many examples, but I was in a dry, how many's been in a dry place before, a wilderness place? I'm just reading the word. And I didn't go looking for the word in Isaiah 35, 8. But when I read Isaiah 35, 8, it grabbed my heart and grabbed my spirit. I was in a wilderness. And the word of the Lord was this. I will make a highway of holiness in your desert place. And you're going to walk out of the wilderness on the high way of holiness, and the enemy can't stop you. Hallelujah. God's going to give you a word. God's going to get into the word of God, God's life-transforming word. Oh, let's stand together this morning, if you would. So here's the action step. Build your life on God's word so you have a strong foundation of faith for the journey of life. 
Now we're going to close. We're going to say, this is my Bible together. And hopefully, your heart's opened up. And you're, you're, you're seeing how important this is. We've got the Bible. I, I have more than a GPS. I have more than a roadmap. I have more than wisdom, and I need wisdom. I have more than poetry. I have more than comfort. I have more than peace. I have a weapon. It's an anointed weapon. It's a godly weapon. It's the Word of God. See, I'm going to speak the Word of God, and it's God's Word, and it's going to accomplish the purpose for which it is sent, and God's Word will not return void. I get in agreement with the Word of God. Can't happen in Philadelphia. Oh, there may be a dream center in Phoenix, a dream center in L.A., but I don't think one's going to happen on the East Coast in Philadelphia. But that was the word of the enemy. The word of the Lord says, yes, it will. It will take place. I will establish it. I will build a life-giving center in the city of Philadelphia. Philadelphia can be transformed. Philadelphia can be healed. Philadelphia is broken and lost and confused. But our God is a healer. Hallelujah. He's a redeemer. Hallelujah. He's a deliverer. Oh, the enemy says we can't do it. I'm going to tell you. I say some of the things I say because I love this nation. We say it, but do we believe it? Uh, I believe it. We're not dead. God's not done. Come on, we're not dead. God's not done. We're going to take out our swords. And we're going to do some slicing and dicing on our way to victory today. Amen. Woo! Hallelujah. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you need to. You're missing out. You need to know this wonderful Savior who can take away your sin, lift the burden off your life, bring clarity, take away that sin, give you a brand new life. You can live with purpose, you can live in power, you can live with meaning, and you're going to be able to live for all of eternity through Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for you and shed his blood and rose again the third day. We do this every service because it's so important. If you don't know Christ, we would like to receive Christ and say, yes, Jesus, come into my life. I want to know you. I want to live for you. I want the life you have for me. Forgive me. But I'm here right now calling on your name. If you want Christ as your Savior, raise your hand for me right now and say yes to Jesus.